We'll be reading three passages this morning. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Read the first seven verses. But there shall be no gloom to her, to her that was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time hath he made it glorious by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy and harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is confused with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, and this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Please now turn to chapter 10, verse 33. And reading through uh, chapter 11, verse 10. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of the roots, out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In the spirit of wisdom and understanding, in the spirit of counsel and might, in the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with, the righteous, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the young child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of his knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. 
Now please turn to chapter 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous Servant, justify many, for he shall bear their fruit, bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Please be seated. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. All right. So uh, this morning, uh, we are going to look at the advent of Christ through the eyes of. So that's one of the, uh, the theme that we're going to be going through for the next several Sundays. And this Sunday, we're looking at the advent of Christ through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, no coincidence. The prophet's name means the Lord is salvation. So when you think Isaiah, you can think he was named very aptly. The Lord is salvation. Please join me in an opening prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you knowing that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And as we look at the advent of Christ through the eyes of Isaiah, he was one who diligently sought you. May your spirit teach us and stir us to do the same. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The people in darkness that walked, or the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them have the light shined. Isaiah 9 2. Turn to Matthew 4 13 through 16. 
Matthew 4, 13 through 16. And leaving, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulon and Nathalem, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Nathalem, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, the light sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah is looking forward to the advent to the coming of Christ. Matthew, looking back on the actual event. There's such a strong parallel between Isaiah and much of what's written in the Gospels is that many in the church throughout history have called Isaiah the fifth gospel. And I think as you, as you look and as you read and you know, if you have the opportunity to read through Isaiah and, and obviously through the Gospels, you see continual reference right, from Isaiah into the New Testament, the New Testament back to Isaiah. Christ quoted much from Isaiah as well. So there's a very strong parallel from Isaiah into the Gospels. But there's also a very strong parallel to Isaiah to the day and the time that we live in right now. It's not just an ancient book of history of things that occurred. Certainly there is a lot of that contained in the pages of Isaiah. He is speaking much. We get much of the history of Israel at a very dark time coming in Isaiah, though. And that's the parallel. There was darkness in the time of Isaiah. The darkness then, there was paganism. There was great wickedness from nations like Assyria. Assyria was one of the most wicked nations known uh, at that time and probably at any time as you read about their practices and what they did. So there's wickedness in the nations. There are unjust rulers within Israel. We just made the, the, uh, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, we go from the good king, uh, Uzziah, to the bad king, Ahaz. So Ahaz is ruling now, and he is not a good king. There are unjust rulers in the land. There's empty re- religious practices amongst the people of God. Right? Even the religious rulers at this time, as, we, as you read through the pages of Isaiah, you would see them involved in things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And as a result, God's people are not seeking God and are seeking his will. It's a very dark time for Israel. And in fact, as we look in Isaiah, we see they're facing total defeat as a nation and captivity in a foreign land. Two paths lie before Israel at this point and the people that are in the land. They can trust in man. They can trust in themselves. They can trust in the wicked leaders that they have and follow down a path of fear and insecurity. Their other choice would be to trust the Lord, to trust in the God's promises and walk in a path of peace and a path of hope. They had promises. They had the promises to Abraham at this point. And now what God does is he gives Isaiah a view, an opening view, a look ahead. So as we look through Isaiah's eyes, we're looking ahead of the coming advent of Christ. And the goal here is to help them choose the right path, right? the path of hope, the path of peace, even in the midst of all the darkness and all the trials that were facing the nation. So we're talking about advent. What is an advent? I think a lot of times it gets immediately associated with the coming of Christ and with Christmas, and that's a good association. But Advent, just in its base form, means coming, right? The coming, the arrival. 
and implies the arrival of an expected one, right? of one that's expected. There's a looking forward. And in this case, certainly, the advent that's being looked for by Isaiah is that of the Savior. An advent is a fulfillment of a promise. And the need for this advent, the need for this coming, stems all the way back to the sin problem we talked about last week in Genesis. Right? That original sin that set into motion, that turned darkness into the world. And the promise is that Satan will be crushed. So why look through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah this morning? First, he was facing similar times that we're facing now. I hope you you now relate to where Israel was sitting in that time as we place Isaiah in context to where we sit in context right now, surrounded with darkness, walking in darkness in the world around us. There's another reason, straight from the scriptures, to read these prophets. Turn to 1 Peter 1.10 as we consider looking through the eyes of the prophets. God had a purpose for the prophets. He had a purpose of putting it in the word for us. And we get glimpses of that in Peter, in both First and Second Peter. So 1 Peter 1.10 says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesies of the grace that should come unto you. So the prophets were ones, right, that inquired and searched. They were looking. I think we talked a little bit about that even in some of the songs that we sung this morning, the importance of, of looking forward. They were looking forward, but not just for themselves, it says here, but for us. They were looking forward and making this word God was leading them for us. And what would that purpose be? Turn to Second Peter now, just a few pages over. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. How did they write? Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were involved or moved by the Holy Ghost. So it is good to look back to the prophets and not just look at history, and not just look at, oh, that was then. They were writing for now. They were writing for us. They were writing for you. And Peter emphasizes that in his gospel. So that's why I look through the eyes of Isaiah, because he was diligently searching. And because God spoke to the prophets, not only in their time, but also ours. So this morning, by looking through the eyes of Isaiah, I'd like us to see that faith in the promises of God brings light Hope in victory through Christ. Faith in the promises of God brings light, hope, and victory through Christ in the war against the darkness. There's darkness we war against. We heard about that last week. Faith in the promise of God brings light, hope, and victory through Christ in the war against the darkness. And we'll look at this in three sections. We'll look at the promise of Advent in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We'll look at the hope in the Advent, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And then we'll look at the completed purpose of the Advent in Isaiah chapter 53. So turn back to Isaiah 9, if you will. And we'll begin there. Isaiah 9, verse 1. So Isaiah was looking for God's faithfulness. He was looking for God to fulfill all the promises that God had made to Abraham. 
he held on to them in faith, and he was searching for God's guidance and an explanation. What promises was he holding on to? What promises of God did he have? Abraham had been told that the Israelites would be God's particular people, his chosen nation. They were told through Abraham that all nations would be blessed through them. And we see just a couple chapters earlier in Isaiah 6, Isaiah's openness and availability to God because God says, who shall I send? And the very famous words, right? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He was able to say that because he was searching. He was walking with God already. He was available. He was ready for God. But God doesn't immediately give an answer to Isaiah about the promises. In fact, as you turn out of Isaiah 6, where Isaiah says, Here I am, send me, Lord. The Lord says in chapters 7 and 8, Great tribulation is coming to your land. The Lord says in chapter 8, I'm sending Assyria. I'm sending the most wicked nation on the face of the earth, the most ruthless people known at the time, and they are going to take you. They are going to take your nation into captivity. That's a pretty big test that Isaiah is facing here. And the question is, will he continue to look for the promises? And God, in his mercy, very quickly here in chapter 9, now gives Isaiah eyes to see. Isaiah eyes to see the advent of the coming one. Let's look through Isaiah's eyes, what God showed him. Verse 2, the people that walked in darkness shall have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath a light shined. So in all this darkness, right? in all this darkness, what's promised? The darkness is described as darkness, and the light is described as a great light. Where's the victory going to be? Right? The light is going to overcome the darkness. And what he's showing Isaiah here is God's working in a longer time frame. Right? He's working over a longer time frame than just the events of the next couple years and even the next couple decades as far as Israel's concerned in this situation. He's helping Isaiah see way down the road into the future because God is working on a greater time frame but continually working his plan of redemption. It's never stopped from that promise in Genesis 3.16 last week that I will send the Son whose heel will be bruised but will crush the head of Satan. That purpose and promise of God has never stopped. It's persisted ever since that time. And now he's giving further light, right? further revelation, further vision to Isaiah about what's going to happen. Right? The times are trying, the times are difficult, and God gives additional truth. He gives additional support to the prophet who's looking, who's searching, who's seeking for this time. Because God will have the last word. Great light will overcome the darkness. And that great light was Jesus coming out of Galilee, as we saw when we turned to Matthew at the opening this morning. Right? That great light was Jesus. Because Jesus spoke the prophecy of Isaiah about himself, and then he went about saying, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. The light is here. He began to dispel the darkness that was on the land at his time. As we look down through 
chapter 9. We come to verses 3 through 5. And these really speak impartial about the first advent of Christ, but they speak probably more fully about the second advent of Christ. And that's something to keep in mind. Hopefully, as you read Isaiah this week, had an opportunity to look at it, there's an intermixing and intermingling of the first and second advent of Christ as we look at the book of Isaiah. And that's because God wasn't giving Isaiah the whole picture in one nice, neat package. Right? So Isaiah could see an advent. He could see what was coming. But it kind of mixes through here, the first and second advent coming. Right? God didn't choose to reveal it that clearly yet. I'd heard an analogy put to this. It's like when you're coming up on the mountains, you can see you know, that first wall of mountains, but you don't know how deep the range is. Right? You don't know if it's just one set of mountains or two set of mountains until you get closer. Right? So Isaiah is looking off. And he sees the mountain peaks rising of the coming of the Savior. And so as we read through Isaiah, we're going to see this, where the first and second advents walk side by side. And in fact, that happens throughout much of the prophets of the Old Testament. As you read, they're seeing both the advents of Christ coming. So it's interesting, although Isaiah's view might not be crystal clear of one advent, two advent, what he did not see perfectly or completely he did see faithfully. And I think that's a charge for us. Right? Maybe what we don't see perfectly right now or completely, we need to see faithfully. We need to look in faith, like Isaiah, who we see faithfully looking to God to fulfill his promises. Now we come to the promise. Right? The promise of Advent in verse 6 is continued. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice, and from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Very familiar scriptures. In fact, my, many of us could probably break out in a song about it right about this time. And I will definitely spare you the pain of myself doing that. But as we go back to chapter, verse 6, it is constructed grammatically. Right? If you would look at the grammar of verse 6, it makes the world, word child emphasized. There's an emphasis placed. The way the sentence is structured, the word child would jump off the page at the Hebrew reader or the Greek reader. In this case, it'd be Hebrew in the Old Testament. The reader would see the emphasis here is, for unto us a child is born. So that would have an emphasis on it. In fact, Isaiah had already talked a little bit about this child in chapter 7, verse 14, another very familiar verse where he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Can you start to see the glimpses that Isaiah is getting here? He gets a little bit in chapter 7. Now he gets a little bit more here in chapter 9, right? The Lord is opening his eyes to the advent, to the coming one, to the one who will be his Savior. So looking ahead to advent, Isaiah gets a great view of the Savior, right? And it, he starts as a child. But haven't we heard about a child before? Didn't we hear about a child last week in Genesis? Right? 
the child of the woman who will crush Satan's head. God is revealing continually through his word what he is doing to fulfill his promises that was originally made for a deliverer back in Genesis 3.16. Now we do get four names of Christ here. Right? And these are probably really the portion, right? Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But don't just think about the song. Think about the actual names. And think about it. To walk with Jesus is to have the Wonderful Counselor guide you in a life filled with joy and wonder. To walk with Jesus is to have the mighty God at your side in dark times. To walk with Jesus is to know the eternal Father, the Father of eternity past and future, the Father who holds your future in his hands. And to know Christ is to rest in the shadow of the Prince of Peace in a world filled with strife. It's an opportunity to have peace not from the strife. That's not the promise here. Not yet. We're not yet given the promise we're going to be free from the strife. But we are given the promise to have peace in the strife of life. That's the promise here. He is the Prince of Peace because where Christ is, where Christ rules, there is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. So when he rules in our hearts... We have peace in the world that's around us. And someday, he will rule over the whole earth. And then we will have true peace across the entire face of the earth. These are wonderful promises to people who walk in darkness. That there is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Now, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. Right? Promises have to be tested. It's easy to give promises. It's not always easy to keep promises. So they needed assurance as well, as Isaiah is looking, and he wants to speak to the people. How can they be sure this promise will happen? Look at the end of chapter 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. These promises are sure because they rest in the work, the initiative, and completely in the hands of God. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The fulfillment of these promises rest on God, not on man, and that's why they're all sure. They all depend on the faithful one, on God. And he has promised Christ's advent to Isaiah and to us. There is a promised advent as we look in chapter 9. So my question to you as we think about the promised advent, where do you stand with God's promises? Where do you stand on the promises of God? Are you sure of them? Do you know any? Do you hold on to any? Do you think about any? And the ones you're thinking about and holding on to, can you find them here? Are they rooted in the word of God? Those are the only promises worth holding on to because those are the only ones backed by God who will bring them to pass. Are these promises your promises? Do you have any doubts 
Do you face discouragement? Do you feel like you're walking in the darkness sometimes? There is a great light. But who is Christ to you? He is the great light. Is he the light in your darkness? Is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your almighty God? Is he your everlasting father? Is he your prince of peace? Church, are you looking forward to the promised advent of Christ? There's a second advent. Are you looking forward to that? And does it change your life every day, every minute, even in the smallest way or the largest way? Does it affect you? Does it change your life? The promised advent of Christ. So there is a promise of advent. There's also great hope in the advent of Christ. Again, I've been talking about the darkness that the people face. If we were to read through, we won't this morning, the remainder of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10, we get a context of what the people really are facing. Israel is in a poor condition. They have fallen away from the Lord. They've become complacent. They've said, we're God's chosen people. And they've gone their own way. Right? Each have done what's right in their own eyes. They've not been responsible with the promises of God. And chapter 9 calls them out very directly on that. So after this promise comes a, you've not been faithful to the promises that you've been given. They have pride. There's really four issues detailed here. Pride, false teaching, spreading wickedness, unchecked wickedness, and unjust rulers. And a just God says, I am going to place my people under judgment to bring them to repentance because he's a loving God. He says, I'm just. I have to place you under chastisement because of what you're doing. But it is to restore you. It's a loving act of God as well that we see here. If we were to look through chapter 10, God pronounces judgment on Assyria. The agent he uses to come and put out his judgment upon Israel also is taken to task here. Because even though they're that instrument of God, they are responsible for their own actions as well. And he said, Assyria, you will be on top for a while, but I will also bring you low. You will also be judged for what you will do to my people, for what you do to the people of God. So God pours out judgment here through chapter 9 and chapter 10, right after the promise of the advent. But he also places a small glimmer of hope in here that he then fans into a fire later. But the glimmer of hope is chapter 10. If you were to look at verses 20 through 27, we won't go in great depth in them this morning, but he speaks words of comfort to the faithful remnant. So in the midst of judgment, God brings peace. He brings protection. He brings help to the faithful, to the faithful remnant. So he does not leave them without hope. And as we come to the close of chapter 10, and that's why I had those last two verses read as part of the reading this morning, let's look at verses 33 and 34 to get a state of the world. Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the boughs with terror, 
and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. And he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by the mighty one. Now he talks about here felling the haughty. Earlier in 9 and 10, he talked about two people's prides he was concerned about. Israel, his people, and Assyria's, the world's. And what we have in 33 and 34 is really a visual word picture from Isaiah. These two mighty trees, the mighty cedars of Lebanon that we talked about several weeks ago, have been hewn down. God has come and cut them down. And literally, if you were in Israel at this time with Isaiah and you looked across the land, that's what had happened. War at that time, as it is at this time, brings desolation and it brings destruction. But the instruments of war at that time were wood. So as the invading armies came down, they laid down the forests. They used the wood to build siege towers, battering rams, instruments of war. So as Israel, as Isaiah, as the people looked out over their once beautiful land, they saw fields, hills, mountains full of stumps. The mighty trees were gone. It truly was a very dark time in Israel. And remember here, two trees have been felled. Israel's felled, and Assyria has been felled. And that's where we sit at the end of chapter 10. We see the full effect in the complete judgment of God. The land was blighted, and things were hopeless from a human standpoint. And now it's time for one of those but God statements as we turn to chapter 11. Look at verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Right in the midst, right right after the judgment's been pronounced, God repeats the coming advent. We see again the coming Christ in these verses. The advent that comes to restore vitality and righteousness. And he speaks of a rod. Remember the rod of Aaron that budded? That was a type of Christ spoken of in Exodus. He speaks of a branch that will grow out of the roots. When the people of Israel in Exodus came to the bitter waters of Marah, what were they told to do? Get a branch, throw it in the waters, and the waters will become sweet again. Again, talking about Christ foreshadows of coming of Christ. So Isaiah speaking to an audience that would know those promises of Abraham says, there's a branch, right? There's a shoot coming. And that's really what he's talking about here is out of all these stumps that they see coming around, out of one stump, out of that of Jesse, the line of David, life will come. A new shoot will rise up for hope of the people. There's an advent There's a Savior coming. God's judgment is before them, but God's mercy is coming. God's mercy is on the way. And we see the evidence in verse 2 that he's speaking of Christ, being this branch and this root and this shoot. As we look in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We see the evidence of this Christ, this branch coming, being filled with the fruit of the Spirit as he walks on the earth and he comes in his advent. 
chapter 11, then we get back in verses 3 through 5, we again get this admixture of the first and second advents coming. We see things of the first advent, of Christ being of quick understanding, the fear of the Lord being on him, not judging by the sight of his eyes or reproving the hearers of his ears. With righteousness he judges the poor, and he has equity for the meek. Those are all things Christ showed in his first advent. But we see pictures of the second advent coming here. By the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And then for both advents, and the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and the faithfulness the girdle of his reins. One other thing to pull out of 11. Remember it said two trees were cut down. There were two taken down. We saw in verse 1, this branch coming up as a sign of hope to Israel, right? The direct prophecies were made in terms that Israel could understand. Turn, turn to verse 10 in chapter 11. This branch, this root, comes back up again. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for a banner to the people. And the Gentiles shall seek it, and his rest shall be glorious. Two trees cut down. Out of one tree, a lively branch comes up that brings life to both trees that were cut down. Both to Israel and to the Gentiles. And not only is it just a shoot at this point, but it's a banner. It's a banner for the nations to flock to. It's a banner for those to flock to the victorious Savior. The victory of Christ is proclaimed by a banner, by an ensign that we see here in verse 10. It also speaks about it in verse 10, or in 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcast of Israel, gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's a coming promise. That's a coming advent of Christ. He came as a shoot but one day he will be the banner of a victorious God, of a complete and total victory of light over the darkness. And where does this all lead? Look at verse 16 in chapter 11. Eleven sixteen. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was from Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. What's coming? All barriers to God will be removed by the blood of Christ. There'll be a highway. If you go from Assyria to Egypt, if you build a highway, it goes right through Israel. It goes right through Palestine. God is making a way home for his people through the Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is a promise of great hope with this advent to a people who were looking at waste, at desolation, at darkness. But the strength of the promise is only seen when the promise is tested. And these promises have been tested. What hope this faithful remnant would gain from these promises of God to continue his plan of redemption and victory over the sin. So I ask you, When you look around, do you feel like you're surrounded by stumps? Is the landscape sometimes pretty bleak? 
when you look around you? Are you looking for the branch? Do you see the shoot of life springing up from one of those stumps? Is that one of the promises you're holding on to? There is a branch. There is a shoot of life coming up from those stumps. Where does your hope reside today? What are you hoping in? What flag are you rallying to? What banner is waving that has your attention in your hope, in your peace, invested in it? And what is the fruit of that in your life? From the banner that you're holding on to, what fruit is it bringing to you? Does it bring a hope that withstands the testing? Because flocking to the banner of Christ brings hope, and hope does not disappoint. It does not. Our hope in Christ can withstand every test that comes our way. Turn to Isaiah 53 for our last section this morning. Isaiah 53. We don't want to stop just looking at the beginning of the advent of Christ. As glorious it is, birth of a child, right? A birth of the Savior, humble beginnings, angels singing. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's God's promise of the child. But the advent of Christ was with a purpose. God had a purpose in the advent, in the first advent. And the first advent doesn't end until we get to Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Those familiar words? A tender plant, a root out of the dry ground. A child. He had no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The advent of Christ was with a purpose. It was to handle sin in the darkness and the conflict that comes with it. For those who have believed the report, verse 1, Who has believed our report? For those who have believed the report and who do not despise and reject. He was despised and rejected of men. But for those who will believe the report and do not despise or reject. In chapter 53 then, there is much of the first advent to see through the eyes of Isaiah. What's Isaiah's name mean? 
the Lord is salvation. And that's what he speaks directly of here in 53. So as we look through the eyes of Isaiah in 53, we see the completion of the first advent. We see the purpose. We see a completed purpose in the first advent. We see the branch, the root out of the dry ground, being despised, being rejected. We see the cost of our sin in Isaiah 53. We see him wounded. We see him bruised. We see him striped. We see the mercy of God in Isaiah 53. And he laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Through him, we are all justified. We see the mercy of God. And we see, through the eyes of Isaiah, the faithfulness of God. We see the child. We see the root. We see the Savior that he promised would come and die for our sins and crush the serpent's head forever. And in verses 11 and 12, I'm going to read them again, we see the complete victory won by a suffering servant. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's a complete victory won by the suffering servant that we see in 53. You know, folks, as we think about this season, the advent and the coming of Christ, many are willing to sit and converse and allow room for the baby in the manger. We speak about it a lot at this time, and I know there's challenges. Can we put up a crash on the courthouse? Can we do this? Can we do that? But for the most part, People are comfortable with the coming of a baby and the story that's associated with that. How comfortable are they with the end of the Advent story, of the first Advent of Christ? The story's not complete. It's not just about the baby coming and wise men bringing gifts. Those are wonderful things. Those are fulfillments of the promise of God. But we have to go to the end of the first Advent to get the whole story, to get the whole picture of what God's doing with the advent, with the coming, with the birth of Christ. The response to the end of the first advent has eternal consequences. The response to Isaiah 53, personally, for each person, has eternal consequences. So I ask you the question, where do you stand in regard to the end of the first advent? Where do you personally this morning stand in regard to the end of the first advent? Have you accepted the branch, the root? Do you see the cost of your sin? Do you mourn the cost of your sin? And can you say you're depending only on the mercy and the faithfulness of God this morning for your eternity? depending only on his mercy and his faithfulness this morning. And for those of you that can say yes, 
I accept the branch and the root that was rejected and despised. I see the cost of my sin and mourn over it. And I depend only on the mercy and faithfulness of God for my eternity. Are you thankful? Are you committed to living for this Savior? Each and every minute of each and every day. So as we conclude this morning, turn back, 1116. I'm going to leave you with some promises of God, some promises of a coming advent to hold on to. 1116, read it again. There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Through Isaiah's eyes, we get a view into the future. God will build a highway of mercy, leading captives out of Egypt, out of Assyria, out of the four corners of the earth, to him, to heaven. And how is that highway built? How did that highway get constructed? It was built by the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The one who suffered is also the one who's going to return to be the ensign, to be the banner, to be the rallying point of a victorious army in his second advent. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day you shall say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you are comforting me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, you inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. These are the promises of Christ's second advent. Another return that we have to look forward to, just as Isaiah had an advent to look forward to. Our situation is much like what faced Isaiah and the people he was speaking to. There is darkness in the land. There are trials related to sin. There are trials related to sin in our lives. There's trials related to sin in the church. There's trials related to sin in the society that affects everyone. That's what we saw in Isaiah's time. I mean, even the faithful were affected by the darkness. It's not an easy equation to say only the unfaithful come under the darkness of the judgment of God at times. But he has a plan and a purpose and a justice and a mercy. And we also have the promises from God for the future advent of Christ through the eyes of Isaiah and many others from the word. Many others read through the prophets. They're all looking forward. They're all getting these glimpses. They're all putting in promises for us like we read in Peter, not just for themselves, not just for their time, but for us to hold on to right now. 
So as we act in faith on these promises, God gives us light, he gives us hope, and he gives us victory in our war against darkness. As we act in faith on these promises of God, he gives light, hope, and victory in our war against darkness. So church, hope. Hope this morning. Hold on to the promises. Live biblically. And know the blessings of being that protected remnant. No matter the extent of the darkness around you, you will be protected by God. Let the light of God, through his word and spirit, penetrate the darkness for his glory through you. Rejoice that the branch is the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, the one who has come, and the one who will have another advent. And in that day shall we say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, you inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One in Israel in the midst of thee. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the sure promises of your word. We thank you for the prophets that you revealed it to. We thank you for Isaiah, the one whose name means the Lord is salvation. That he was willing to say, here am I, send me. And to faithfully look and listen and record at the urging of the Spirit, sure promises, sure promises of your coming Son, the Advent, first and second. And Father, may we be filled with hope in these promises and walk faithfully for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.